Welcome to the Cowie Baptist Church podcast. To learn more about Cowie, including in our gathering times, visit us online at cowie.church. Enjoy the message. We've been walking through uh, just a couple of weeks in the midst of a sermon series called Peace, and uh, Kelly said it well in that video. It's something that the world uh, is desperately looking for, but is looking for in all the wrong places. As we've been walking through this series, we started with the letter P, and over the next few weeks, as an acronym for peace, we're going to be talking about uh, where true peace comes from and how can we can be confident in that peace. Last week, we looked at letter P and saw that peace was promised. We saw the prophecies of the Old Testament and just how uh, God had promised His peace. And this week, we move to letter E, which is extraordinary. And this peace that God promises, the only way that it could come to pass is through our extraordinary Savior. That word extraordinary uh, simply means uh, just this thought of being unusually great. And that seems very mild in a way to describe the greatness of our God, right? But we don't have words that could describe His greatness, that could describe His majesty, that could describe uh, who he is. Uh, But today we're going to look in uh, Isaiah chapter 9 and we're going to look at the words uh, from the prophet Isaiah that, that, that point to the promise of our Savior and describe the greatness of our God. It's going to give us a portrait of the Prince of Peace, the portrait of our Savior. Uh, How many of you take a lot of pictures this time of year? A lot of people uh, taking pictures, love seeing family portraits, love seeing families and just all the the pictures that uh, take place. You'll find in the back of our children's wing, you'll find a little photo opportunity. You'll see a a little picture of it on the screen and uh, you can have an opportunity to go and get your picture made and do some of those kind of things throughout this Christmas uh, season. And so we're uh, encourage you to do that. I love seeing uh, different pictures throughout uh, the season, throughout uh, just your lives. And we've had some neat photo opportunities in the past. I understand this week, uh, this Wednesday is our student ugly sweater Christmas party right here uh, in Crossover. And so I found a picture of Hope and I uh, from that uh, just a few years back. You'll see it on the screen here in a moment. And so anybody needs an idea, I love Hope's there. It was a mirror on her sweater, and so I'm not sure what she was saying there. But you know, the, the pictures of Christmas, they tell kind of a story. Uh, like I remember that ugly sweater Christmas party that we were at and just those moments that were there. And those portraits, they, they, they give us a picture. They tell us something more than what we see. I was looking in this same little section of pictures. I saw Grant and Sam Breeden. You'll see them uh, up here in just a second. Now this story reminds me, first of all, how quick our kids are growing up. Like it is happening fast. Look at Sam out there, man. And it also reminds me that basketball season takes place this time of year. And so they're all about that. But I think about those pictures. Now, I'm wondering, does anybody, any of you guys out here, and, and this could be a little embarrassing for us to admit, that any of you guys put on pajamas and, let, and, and like have family photos in those? Yeah, I know Grant's raising his hand. I'm part of that experience. Yeah. Yeah, well, and... Listen, t- tomorrow, tomorrow, I will have been married to my bride for 24 years, right? And guys, what, however, like, 
you know, you just smile and take the picture. That's what you do. That's, that's what you do. It works out great, right? And I look at those treasures. We always put our jammies on. Uh, and, and a lot of times we'll go out with them on, like to some kind of event. We'll get hot chocolate, go in our car. And hopefully we don't have to get out very often because people look at you kind of funny, but it's all right. Now, most of the pictures that we see, they... You know, what we see on social media is kind of always a, a perfect little picture or as perfect as it can get. But there's always some pictures that lead up to that, right? And they always tell a story. I love seeing those pictures when I look back. Like, for example, this day, if you look at the next picture, you'll kind of see what was really happening that day. Now, now Grant has a tendency to always be in trouble during the, during the picture. And if you look, you can kind of see Sherry and Hope's both, uh, their look of disgust. And yeah, it's... it's they're looking for the perfect picture. And by the way, guys, if you want to know what the perfect picture looks like, just ask your wife. And when she likes it, it doesn't matter what you look like in that. Just smile all the time. And, and it's all going to be okay, right? That's how it works. And so we love to see those. We said a couple years back that we would do some Cowie real life pictures. And so during this season, if you have some funny pictures that uh, kind of happen in the journey, we'd love for you to put those up and just hashtag that so we can follow some of that. But I love seeing those pictures that are uh, just true kind of in the process. A lot of times we think of Christmas and we see pictures of nativity scenes. We see pictures that tell us the story of Christmas. This is my favorite uh, little nativity scene that we have, and, and my wife loves nativity scenes. We have them all over the house, but this one was the one that we had when our kids were little, and we would uh, tell them the Christmas story, and they would kind of assemble that, and sometimes they would replace uh, some of those things, some of those uh, little toys with other toys. I've got some pictures of that we won't show you today, but we, we had a, just a, a great time with those things, and they remind me of these moments, and they tell a story. And most of the time when we think of Christmas, we think of pictures of those kind of things. But Isaiah is going to paint us a picture, a portrait of the powerful Prince of Peace, the one who in his zeal, and we're going to see that toward the end, right? We're going to see just that it is his zeal that's going to bring all these things to pass. We long for that everlasting peace. And he's going to paint a picture of the incarnation of uh, the, the, the God that is great. And he's going to give us a picture of the zeal of our great God for the triumph of his grace. And he's going to bring it to pass. The title of the message today is Extraordinary Peace in an Extraordinary God. Let's read Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. Uh, scripture says this, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of peace. Verse 7, there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful. Lord, that the peace that we desire, Lord, and the peace that we promise is not dependent on us, Lord. And it's not dependent on uh, the circumstances of this world, the rulers that are uh, around this world, but it is dependent on you, Lord. And we are so grateful for that. And Father, we pray, God, today, Lord, for every person that gathers, Lord, that you, uh, Lord, would meet us right where we're at, Lord, in the midst of this broken and crazy world that we live in. Lord, we recognize there are so many things that are coming uh, in so many different directions. But Lord, we know that true peace is found in you. And Lord, I pray today, God, that we would glorify your name. Lord, that we would worship you because of who you are. And Lord, in the midst of 
this crazy world, Lord, that you would allow your people, Lord, to experience peace that only comes from you. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We ask for your blessing on our time together, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So Isaiah chapter 8 ends with this picture of gloom and doom. It is a, a, a rough ending, right? We see uh, just this incredible uh, anguish. We see that the prophecy of Isaiah is predicting this uh, captivity, right? It's of war and captivity. It is a tough, tough situation. And I remind you that this was written 700 years before the birth of Christ, right? And we see, let's look at, at verse 22 of Isaiah chapter 8. It says, And they will look to the earth and behold a distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be driven away into darkness. In chapter 8, we see this uh, devastation of war has extended to every nation. We see uh, all the mess and all the darkness that is there. And then in chapter 9, with one word, and we're going to read that verse, but I want you to catch the first word. With one word, everything changes. And it's a word, one of my favorite words in Scripture. It shows all of this gloom and all of this darkness and all of this despair. And then it's all overcome in one word, but God. And we see that word, but, in this passage. In verse 1 of Isaiah chapter 9, it says, But there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on, he shall make it glorious. By the way of the sea, on the other side of the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. Now, we don't have time to do it today, but we could invite one by one people to come and testify of God's goodness on this stage today. And there would be many people in this room that could share a story of hurt, a story of despair, a story of darkness in their own lives. And then they would say, but God. And they would testify of his grace. There might be people in this room that would say, you know what? When my marriage fell apart, I didn't think that I would be able to go on any further. But God, when my loved one died and I thought that I had died too. But God has given me peace and he's given me strength. There might be people in the room that would say, you know what? In my past, I've wrecked so many lives. I've left a, a path of wreckage behind me. I've seen so many things, uh, so many hurts, so many uh, difficulties, but God in his grace has restored and has brought hope. We might read of people who would say, you know what, I was dead in my trespasses and sins, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love has made us alive together in Christ. And so we see with one word, right? There's a change. We see this despair and this gloom. And then he says, but, and we see what God is doing. And how's he going to do this? Where is he going to do this? And who is he speaking of? That last verse we see in Matthew chapter four, verse 13 through 15, we see that it was quoting and talking about Jesus. We see him uh, quoted here in Matthew chapter 4, the prophet Isaiah is quoted, and it says this, And leaving Nazareth, he came and settled in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. And so 
chapter 8, we see this, this devastation that has extended to every nation on earth. But here in chapter 9, there's this vision of the light of the glory of God and of his grace extending to every nation. Uh, and, and it is gloriously proclaimed. If you look in, in verse uh, 2 of uh, chapter 9, it says, these people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. How will this come to pass? And it is only through Jesus that darkness is overcome. And that's what we're going uh, to see. It is only through Jesus. Isaiah paints this picture of Christ beginning in verse 6. And he says, for, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us. And in Isaiah's portrait of Christ, we see his nature. And this is so important. Don't miss this, right? It says a child is born and it points to his humanity. It points to the reality that a child is, is come to us. We see a, a son is given, right? It pictures the deity of Christ, that this is the eternal son of God that is given to us. And the unity of these two natures in Jesus Christ is critical for us to understand. It's critical for us to know, but honestly, it is impossible for us to understand and explain how it works is bigger than our minds could even grasp. I think it was Spurgeon that said it was a mystery that the angels do not even dare to look. A child is, is born. A son is given. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And because of his nature, redemption is made possible for us. He was born, the scripture says, as a lamb slain before the foundation of the world. He was born to die. 1 John 4 says that he was the propitiation for our sin. And because uh, of our need for a substitute, because of our need uh, for him to be our substitute, he had to be a man. He had to be uh, born in that way. Jesus had to come in deity, fully God and fully man. And because of that, his death is sufficient for our redemption. He is not a finite human, right? We see that he uh, is eternal and he is the infinite God. And his nature reveals to us so much, right? We see his humanity and we see his deity, right? We see this union together in Christ. His nature reveals to us the Father. John 14, Jesus said, he who has seen me has seen the Father. God became flesh and in him we see God's love. We see his holiness. We see the Father. When we look at Jesus, we see the Father and our response to his greatness, our response to our extraordinary Savior is worship. It is praise to our great God, right? The meaning and the message of Christmas is not let it snow, let it snow, let it snow, but it is let us worship because our God has come and he has entered and pierced into the midst of darkness and he has brought light. Yes. We see in Isaiah's portrait of Christ, we see his nature. We also see his nations. If you look at the continuing of that verse, it says, for the government will rest on his shoulders. So we see the beginning of that verse and it says a child will be uh, born, a son will be given. And then all of a sudden we see the government will rest on his shoulders. And there's a, there's a gap of time in between those statements. Because what we see in reality, right, is that Jesus was born 2,000 years ago as a baby. And the government of this world, the government of this universe has yet to be placed on his Shoulders. We live in a tension, and that's why peace can be difficult to find because we live in a tension between the already and the not yet, right? Before taking the government on his shoulders, Jesus took a cross on his shoulders, and he would carry a cross and die in our place, providing redemption for all who would trust 
in him. And so there's this gap of time. We're reading the scriptures that we're seated with God in the heavenly realms in Christ. Present tense in Ephesians 2. We see in Ephesians 1 that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. All of these things in present tense. But we find ourselves, the people of God, we find ourselves living under the rule of God. But we find ourselves in the midst of the darkness of this world. And it's a tension that's so hard to deal with, right? There's this gap of time. There's this meantime that we are in. Now, we read in the scripture, we know that Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. I hear people say sometimes that I made Jesus Lord of my life. I want you to understand, we don't make him Lord. He is Lord. We surrender to him as Lord, right? That's what salvation is, right? We surrender to him as Lord. And he governs our lives. And as he governs our lives... His rule, as it extends in our life, so does the peace that he gives. We don't have to wait to experience his rule in our life. And the more that we surrender, the more that we submit, the greater his rule, the greater his peace that we will experience. So we see his nature, we see his nations, and we see his name. Look at his name. I love this passage. It says, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. We see in, in this wonderful counselor that we have extraordinary counsel, that we have wonder and wisdom. We live in a time where when we don't know the answer, what do we do? Man, we Google it, right? Or we ask Siri. How many times do we say that? Hey, let's ask Siri. Hey, Siri, what about this? Hey, Siri, what about that? But the reality is that he is our wonderful counselor, that our great God. And when we are trying to figure out the direction that we go in life, when we're trying to sort through the things that we need to decide, we have him as our wonderful counselor. He's given us counsel through his word. He's given us counsel uh, through his spirit. And so we search for those things. And we wrestle with decisions. People say, how do I know what decision I should make? And I say, well, we want to look into God's word. What does God's word say about that decision? We want to seek counsel from other believers. We want to seek counsel from other uh, wise believers, people that we trust that are following Jesus. But we want to seek counsel from the Lord. And we experience peace in those decisions. So the third thing, we want to look for peace in those ways. So we have this wonderful counsel. We have extraordinary counsel. We have a mighty God. And because of that, we have extraordinary confidence. So not only do we have uh, just a God who has promised these things to come to pass, we have a God who is able to bring about these plans. We have a mighty God and Jesus and our God is able to execute the plans of the Father. See, we have confidence in knowing that the promises of God are yes and amen, that he is going to see those come to pass. And by the way, the scripture says that the same power that rose Jesus from the grave lives in us. And if we're followers of Jesus Christ, 2 Peter 1.3 would tell us that we have been given everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us according to his own glory and power. And in Christ, as followers of Jesus Christ, we have everything required to live godly lives in his power. There's no temptation that comes your way. You, you may be walking in the midst of this darkness, but if we are in the, under the rule of Christ and if our lives are submitted to him and surrendered to him, there's no temptation that comes that's not common to man. And the scripture says that, that he's not going to allow temptation to come, that, that there's not a way of escape for us to take. That, that there's a way of escape with that temptation. That we don't have to walk in sin. That we, we have everything required. 
I don't know if you guys have ever purchased a, a toy or a gift maybe for kids on Christmas. I remember one year I purchased uh, this uh, toy that our kids uh, were so excited to get. And I didn't read on the outside of the box and there were no batteries included. And we have about 24,000 AA batteries, but we don't have any C batteries, none in our house. And so we have this gift, right, that is very exciting, but this gift is not working, right? And there's nothing wrong uh, with the gift. And, and if you call tech support, by the way, uh, and, and not that I did that, right, but anytime you have something that's not working that has uh, batteries in it, or anytime you have something that uh, has to have power and you call tech support, the first thing they're going to ask you is, hey, have you put the batteries in, right? That's going to be the first thing you ask. And, and you get tired of asking or having to answer those questions because you're like, of course, I put the batteries in. And they're like, well, can you pull them out and make sure they're turned the right way? And they're always looking at this uh, power support or these kind of things. But, but here's the reality. Everything we need, all the power, right, that we need in our lives to live godly lives in Christ, we have in Jesus if we are in Christ. He is with us and he will strengthen us. And we've got to be plugged into that power source. We live our lives out of an overflow of that. We spend time with the Father. Scripture says that Jesus said, if you abide in me, he said, you'll bear much fruit. Our role is that we abide in Christ. And as we abide in him, the power to live our life is, is, is given as an overflow of relationship with Christ. And we can live pleasing lives to him. The third thing we see, he is our everlasting father, right? In Hebrew, it translates this way, that he is the father of eternity. In, to the Jews, when we would see the father of something, we would see, do we see that Satan is referred to as the father of lies, right? We see uh, those kind of words. So it gives this picture of being source of something. And here's the reality. If you want anything eternal, the only way that you get it is through Jesus. That's what the scripture teaches, that he is the, the everlasting father, that he is the source of our eternity. Uh, Warren Wiersbe says it this way. He says, he's the father of eternity and anything that you want eternal, you must get it from Jesus Christ. He is our eternal, our everlasting father. He is our prince of peace. And in that we have extraordinary contentment. It is in this child that was born. It is in this son that was given that we can have peace. And it's only in him that we find peace. And what we read in the scriptures is not only is Jesus going to defeat evil, but he is going to put an end to all war, an end to all conflict. And we look around at this world. I mean, we are in desperate need of peace. And in Isaiah chapter 9, if you look in just the verses prior to what we read, we see that the boots that those that would, would wear to go into battle, that, that, that the tools and the weapons and all those things, that they're not needed uh, any longer, right? That they are uh, just to be burnt up, that they are no longer needed. There's going to be an unstoppable kingdom. There's a, there's a, a kingdom that is endless in its increase. His peace will increase infinitely. Look at chapter 9, verse 7. He says this, There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. And the last part of this verse, I believe, is the most powerful of all. He says, The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Now, God had promised uh, 
David, that his dynasty, right, that his throne would be established forever. Second uh, Samuel chapter number seven, uh, we read of those things, right? And we see this literally fulfilled in Jesus Christ, who will one day reign from Jerusalem. We, we see that this everlasting peace that we desire, that it will come to pass and it will come to pass in Jesus Christ. We see that we have an extraordinary God who loves us endlessly, right? We, we try to do our best to love one another and we do all those things, but we have an extraordinary God. He loves us endlessly. He has reconciled us eternally, right? And when we are in Christ, we have been reconciled eternally and there will be no end. There will be no end to the increase of his government. There will be no end to the increase of his peace, we say that Jesus, right, and we hear this statement around Christmas, right, that there's a gift that keeps on giving. But Jesus is the gift that keeps on giving. His name, Scripture says, will be wonderful. Now, how many of you have bought gifts for your kids and they've played with them for just a little while and then all of a sudden they've gotten bored with it and they've just needed something else, right? That happens so frequently. But what I want you to understand is we will never get bored with this gift. And the picture of eternity is not just simply it being glorious when we get there, and it will be glorious when we get there, right? I can only imagine what it will be like to be in his presence. But the scripture says that as glorious as it is when we get there, that it's just going to keep getting better and better. That's what this passage says, right? That every moment that we spend in eternity will be better than the moment before. And in that moment, when the joy of every moment is better than the moment before, we are not going to look at one another. And I'm not going to look at my wife and say, hey, look around here. Look at what we did. We're not going to look at one another as Cowie Baptist. And we're not going to look at one another and say, you know what? We did so good. Like, look at everything that we did. We're going to be in awe of the grace of our glorious God. We're going to be in a place where we will look around and we will praise him forever. We will be in awe of his grace and his goodness. The zeal of the Lord is what this passage says will bring it to pass. And I want you to understand what that means. We're going to look one day and we're not going to think about anything we've done, but we're going to look one day and we're going to say, look at what our God has done. And we're going to worship him and be in awe of his grace. God is zealous, right? We think about all these pictures in the portraits of Christmas and I love manger scenes and I love to see all of those pictures and the, the portraits that we might see on the wall as people try to portray Jesus and he's got all the little children coming to him and we see all of those kind of things. There's this meek and this mild Jesus that is pictured in all of those things. And, and I don't want you to misunderstand me. Those pictures of Jesus are not wrong, but they are not complete because we have a God who is mighty. He is zealous and he is coming back. He is a warrior, right? He is a conquering king. And we're going to see that the zeal of the Lord, now this word for zeal, it's this picture of, of passionate ardor. It's this picture of, of, of jealousy that one might, uh, a husband's jealousy for the love of his bride, right? It's this picture like you can do a lot to me, right? But after 24 years with my bride, there's a passionate zeal that I have for her love. There's a passionate zeal that I have for our family, right? And there's that kind of picture. It's the love that, that burns, right? In the Song of Solomon, we see this word used for the love that burns in the hearts of a bride and a groom. And what I want you to understand is our God is passionate. And our God is passionate about seeing his grace and his plan come to pass. Our God is passionate about his grace triumphing over the evil and the darkness of this world, right? When we sung that song, I was just, man, hope has a name, right? That it breaks through the darkness. That's what Christmas is all about. Uh, somebody uh, turned me on to a song uh, a few weeks back uh, called, Oh, 
overcome all ye unfaithful. And in the midst of that, I love to listen to that song. And as I listen to that thong, song, I am reminded, that's the funniest thing I've ever said, right? No. <laughs> Let's just pause. Let's just pause for a second. <laughs> <laughs> My wife is not proud of me right now. <laughs> Everybody rewind. And he says, Oh, come all ye unfaithful. Right? We think about Christmas, and that's really what it is all about. In all of our mess, and all of our brokenness, and all of our craziness, right? Jesus stepped into the midst of darkness, not because we deserved it and not because we're good, but because he is good and because, and we're going to see the peace that we all long for. We're going to see the glory of our God, right? We're going to see him uh, in just an, an incredible way, his grace triumph over evil. We're going to see his, his grace triumph over uh, all the darkness that's around. And here's the picture of our God, right? He is a mighty warrior. In Isaiah 42, verse 13, the scripture says this, that the Lord will go forth like a warrior. I love this, this language. He says, he will arouse his zeal like a man of war. He will utter a shout. Yes, he will raise a war cry and he will prevail against his enemies. Right, this is our great God. He, the scripture says, is a consuming fire, right? We see in this, this verse that he is burning with passion, right, for uh, his grace to triumph over evil, that he is zealous for his people. We see that when Jesus cast uh, the crooks out of the temple, right, when he cast the money changers out of the temple, that he was the one that was yielding the whip. And he will come in this war cry, right? We see this picture of him prevailing against his enemies, the zeal of our great God will do this. It is not anything that we're going to do, and there is nothing that's going to stop it. And he is burning with zeal for his grace to prevail in the midst of darkness. And you can count on it. You can consider it done just as much as we are in this moment. You can consider it done because our great God is going to bring it to pass. And the zeal and the passion of our great God, that's why it will come to pass. And, you know, when we get to a place like this and we say, what in the world is he waiting on? Right? We look around and we see the brokenness of this world. We see the hurt. We see the pain. You know, there's often that I stand on a hillside in a cemetery. And I long for that day that we no longer have to stand by graves and watch loved ones hurt. As this separation occurs through death in this life. We experience the darkness of all these things around us. And we think, what in the world is he waiting on? You know, this week I was reading in Luke 18 and there's a passage there that talks about this persistent widow. And Luke 17 has, has given this picture of, of uh, just speaking into the delay that sometimes we can feel of his coming, right? This time in between where we see that uh, Jesus has been born, that he's died on a cross and that one day he's going to come and he is going to return and he's going to establish everlasting peace. And in the meantime, in that delay that is right there, right, we experience that and we say, what do we do while we wait? And there's this parable in Luke 18 of this persistent widow. And sometimes we can get 
kind of confused with the meaning of it because this widow uh, continues to make her request for justice to this unrighteous judge in this parable. And, and a lot of times we can get this picture, and I've heard people say that somehow we're to just continue to pray and, and pray and pray and pray, and that somehow we're going to almost like wear our God out, right? Because that's what happens to this unjust judge, that, that he gets worn out with the request of this lady. But the purpose of that parable was never for us uh, to look and say we're going to somehow wear our God out because we can't wear him out anyway just by the way, but, but we're not to look at this unjust judge and, and consider him and compare him to our great heavenly father, right? We look at him in contrast to our great heavenly father. I want to read you just a couple of verses. I hadn't planned on these being there, so they're not on the screen, but I want to read you just a little bit of that passage. And I want to talk about what you do uh, as you wait. In Luke 18, he says this, in verse 5, he said, Yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming to me, she will wear me out. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now will God not bring about justice for his elect, for his children who cry to him day and night? And so there's a contrast between this unjust judge and our heavenly father who loves us. And he says, will he not bring about justice, right? He is coming. He is going to make all things right. It's as good as done. And it says, and will he delay long over them? Now, this is a crazy question because sometimes there's this gap in the meantime that seems long. There's this gap in the meantime that we're suffering. There's this gap in the meantime that we're hurting. And we're saying, why in the world is there this delay? I'm reminded in 2 Peter uh, chapter number 3, he said, The Lord is not slack or not slow concerning his promises, as some count slackness or as some count slowness. The Lord is not slow in those things, but he says that he is patient toward us or he is long-suffering toward us. Aren't you glad that our God is long-suffering toward us and patient toward us? And he says he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so here's this gap. What is the Lord waiting on? It may be that he is waiting on some of you. It may be that he is waiting on some of your loved ones that you need and are called to go and share the good news of the gospel with. And, and we understand that there's this meantime that we're in where God is continuing to save and continuing to work and continuing to fulfill his plan in the midst of this world. But there's coming a day, the scripture says that as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the coming, in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. And there was a day uh, in time when the flood came that, that, that the door was shut and that no more would enter into the ark. And there's going to be a time where the, the, the grace of God that has been extended and poured out in Christ will be done, right? There's going to be a time where he will return in, in judgment and Scripture says that, that all of us will stand before that, right? That it is appointed unto man once to die and after this, the judgment, right? But we understand that in this time, we have the marvelous, wonderful grace of God that we get to tell about, that we get to extend, that we get to share. We have a message of the gospel that we proclaim to those in our families. We have an opportunity in those that we'll gather with over this season. We have an opportunity in those that we work with, those that are in our home, to share the good news of his gospel. We have that blessing until he returns. We have that blessing. And so in the midst of the hurt, we understand that God's not slack concerning his promise. Look at the rest of this, this passage. He says, I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. He says, God will bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night. And, he will, and will he delay long over them? I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So what do we do in the meantime, right? We trust and know that the zeal of our great God is going to bring all this to pass. 
that he is going to make all things new, that he is going to return. He's going to establish everlasting peace. And so what do we do in the meantime? What do we do? And, and there's a picture in this parable that, that we're to be persistent in prayer, that we are to continue to come before the Father, not because we are going to wear him out, but because we trust him as a good father. And we know that in the fullness of time, he's going to come back for his church. And we pray for his kingdom to come. We want to be in that way, persistently coming before the Father, longing to see his kingdom here on earth and recognizing that until he returns, we have the, the, the privilege, right, of being light in the midst of darkness, of carrying his kingdom everywhere we go, of being little pockets of the kingdom as we go out, right, as we live for the glory of his name. And so we live in light of his return. We live recognizing that he's going to come swiftly. and He's going to bring justice. And, and I want to promise you, in light of eternity and in light of all the good, right, whatever suffering that we are walking through, whatever difficulties that we are facing, 2 Corinthians 4 words it this way, said the momentary light affliction, right? And that that's what it's going to be like compared to all that God has for us. And it says even those things, that it's working a far exceeding weight of glory in the eternal. Therefore, we do not lose heart. And so we here in between the time where Jesus has came, where he entered into this, this world, born of a baby, lived a sinless life and died on a cruel cross in our place and ascended into heaven. He rose from the grave and ascended into heaven. One day he will come back for his church. And until then, will he find faithful on the earth? What will he find when he returns? Will he find us being faithful? Will he find us longing for his return, seeking his kingdom, desiring his kingdom, and proclaiming his gospel. See, that's where we're to be found. That's how he'll find faith on the earth. And there's this, there's this connection in that parable between the persistent prayers of God's people and the faith that will be found on the earth. And, and as, we, as we long for that day that he returns and establishes everlasting peace, it is in those persistent prayers and trust and knowing that the zeal of our God will bring it to pass that his peace overflows in us. It is in those times that we gain strength to live in the midst of this brokenness. And will you be people that will go out and declare the good news of who he is until he returns? Those are those that he will find faithful. The Lord's not slack concerning his promise. He's not slow concerning his promise. But he is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I want to ask you just to take just a moment. We're going to worship the Lord together, and I want to pray for us as the band comes. Maybe you bow your head, and we'll, we'll pray to God together. But I, I want to ask you before we do, who, who is it that is in your life that God has been placing on your heart to share the good news of the gospel? Who is it that if Jesus were to return today that's lost in your life, that has never surrendered their life to Jesus, who is it that is a neighbor? Who is it that is in your family? Who is it that's around you that is desperate to hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ? It may be today that you need to lift them to the Lord in prayer. How long has it been since you wept over a family member and prayed that God might, uh, that might save them, that he might... Uh, Reveal to them his goodness and his mercy. That he might draw them in the power of his spirit. And that they might come to repentance. And surrender 
to him. What is he waiting for? Maybe he's waiting on you. There's going to be a time where the door will be shut. And if you've never surrendered to Jesus Christ as Lord, I invite you to respond to his gracious gift of salvation, to respond to the good news of the gospel, and to respond simply in repentance and surrender, understanding that there's nothing good that we could do in our own strength to be to be made right with God, to be able to be in heaven, but knowing that Jesus died in our place, that he was the substitutionary sacrifice for us. Scripture says that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, that means he's in charge and not us, and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, that we could be saved. Do you believe the gospel this morning? Do you surrender to him? going to be having a baptism coming up uh, late in December. I believe it's the 19th. If you've never uh, taken that next step of obedience, maybe God is speaking to you about that. Uh, but my hope is that in whatever way uh, God stirs in your heart, that you will respond in obedience and surrender to him. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your love for us, Father. And we pray, God, as we come to a close in this service, Lord, that you will have your will and your way in every life. God, we are thankful, Lord, that uh, that your zeal, God, that your love and that your passion, God, is going to see everlasting peace, God. It's going to see your plans, God, fulfilled. And God, I pray, Lord, that it, God, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you this morning, God, that they would, uh, God, experience the passion of your grace today, Lord. And God, that they would respond to your gracious gift of salvation in repentance and surrender. Lord, we love you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand in worship? If you need to pray, we'd love to pray with you.